Iowa's News Now Sports brings you black and gold glory. Your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks. So, yeah, I mean, that's the rest of the story. The game wasn't over, you know, despite that um, interesting call. So, that probably won't soften it enough, will it? I'll still get fined. Screw it. So, anyway, you know, just the kids' hospital, please. All right. Yeah, that about sums it up, doesn't it? Welcome to uh, our Sunday edition of Eye on the Hawks, recapping that 12-10 loss to Minnesota in the battle for the Florida Rosedale. First, Iowa lost to Minnesota since 2014. First time they've lost at Kinnick Stadium to the Golden Gophers since 1999. Mitch Fick, Owen Sebring, Mike Howell, just like the rest of you, still trying to process, forgetting a play that we all saw and experienced and both were very fortunate, got very good angles of, uh, because it all starts with the punt return that wasn't, and we'll just get right into that, shall we? Here's a, a look at what it looked like with about 1.30 to go in the game. Cooper DeGene, hand signals, whatever. Uh, not a lot of reaction on the Minnesota sideline to emphasize anything like that, but just one of the most incredible plays. Owen, oh, you've done this for a while too. One of the most incredible plays I've ever seen, incredible moments, but it didn't happen. Yep. Uh, I feel a little bit like when, when you're in a courtroom and uh, the, you know, the prosecution brings a piece of evidence and the, the judge rules, that, that must be stricken from the record. And I say, <laughs> the jury must forget. That's a great analogy. That would be the best analogy I've ever heard. A week and a half murder trial uh, early this, earlier yeah. this year. That's uh, a few things were brought up. Like, nope, like we're not going to introduce that. And, and but the, then there's still like, it was said, it's the, in the ether. The jury's like, well, we can't use that? We got to forget that? That's kind of the same thing here where it's like, Wait, we, we didn't just see the most amazing play that we've seen in the last decade? We were, t- we were just talking about this, and I don't know. Uh, again, it's all what if, and none of this matters anymore. But if that play stands, Cooper DeGene might not be winning the Heisman, but his stock in that, I mean, his NFL stock is high as it's already going. Like, yeah. It, in, a, in a season where Michael Penix is kind of running away, literally and figuratively sometimes, throwing uh, his way to the Heisman, you're looking for for all also Rans and boy the kid from Oldabolt just doing I, anything and everything. This I think is the best angle, and I got this. I think Cooper shared it, yeah, this, Mitch. This is, uh, yeah, so you Cooper can see shared his, this in yeah. his Instagram story. Trey Peterson, who I think is a freelancer, um, hmm. had that shot. Like, boy, I I'm not intricate in the rules. We've all learned a heck of a lot about the rule book in the last. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of Twitter football so. experts saying like who act like they knew what an invalid fair catch was before today. I mean, I watch a lot of college football. This gets called, like, I don't know, not even once a year. But it got, it, there was one last night that didn't get called against UNC. But It's, it's just, it's a psychological thing. Like, you know, Owen just drew the, the courtroom parallel of if the play's dead, blow it dead, I guess. Yeah. But let it, letting it play Let's, through and then letting people experience this euphoric emotional high or devastating swing on if you're on the Minnesota side and then being told didn't happen forget like that's that's an immensely difficult thing to process because I we saw it we're right there and now it's nope didn't happen and we're just going to move on as if it didn't happen. I certainly understand when officials let a play uh, run itself out when it comes to like a fumble return or a pick six or something but I guess I don't understand necessarily 
the benefit there if you're the official of being like, well, I think he did a fair catch segment, but let's let's let this one play let's, out and see what happens. Because if he gets tag, um, Cooper and well, he like hits a Heisman pose too as he's getting past 87, like right around the 20 or so. Mm-hmm. If he's tackled there, does this get reviewed still? I don't. It think doesn't so. nearly as bad if it gets overturned. Certainly, I think it. I think if it's more than a 10 yard return, I think they still might review it. Because because of like what Kirk said, Kirk said they were looking for the sideline. They were looking for yeah. sideline, and then saw the other thing. And so if it if it got down to like the twenty yard line, I think they still review it and bring it back. If it was like a eight yard return, I think they just say whatever and then just let it let it ride um, from there. But I, I just think the spirit of the rule, which I think is for returners not to fake fair catch it to fool the defense, like that is why probably it's in yeah. there. I don't know exactly why they threw that rule in there. How long it's been a rule, mm-hmm. but. Like, clearly, no one on Minnesota was even arguing that call after the game. It, they were stone-faced. I, I mean, they, it felt like a here-we-go-again. Like, w- yeah. what, what way can happen to, to give us a night's straight I, loss against this team? And it felt like on that sideline was, this This is what does it. Yeah, I, cheerleaders were crying on the Minnesota sideline, oh, I wow. saw. Um, I, I was getting a reaction shot for P.J. Fleck, and um, he, he didn't know what was going on until, like, the very last minute. You, he was, like, going like this to his defense, like, get off the field. Like, we're, <laughs> we got to change things up because it was going to be the, you know, uh, kick block team or whatever. I guess mm-hmm. not kick block. They would have gone for two in that situation. Iowa would have, I'm sure. Um, oh, yeah, probably. Because it was a four-point lead, and they would have had to go for two to get up by six. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah. he was, like, changing out things. So I don't think he ever saw that coming. I think the coaches knew before. I think he was waving them off and saying, hey, we're getting ready to play defense. Because right. on the broadcast I rewatched today, Kirk – was getting explained to the ref before the announcers knew and before the ref, you know, and then the other ref started moving back and Kirk was like in complete shock at like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, I, um, I don't think that this necessarily affects in any way. Well, I don't think it can do anything but improve Cooper's draft stock. I don't think that's necessarily the conversation. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's kids all, get, that's kids on get the real. That's <laughs> like, on the real. Yeah. He's, he's getting drafted. So it's like that, the overruling that doesn't necessarily shape anything. It's more so the, I think it was um, uh, somebody I saw on Twitter today, one of our former guest analysts on I and the Hawks spoke about um, the fact that this was a legacy defining moment yeah. for Cooper DeGene and it's wiped off the board. He still's got you know, that other punt return touchdown that was incredible. He's got a lot of pick sixes under his belt, and there's still a lot of people that are going to remember that one, but it just feels tainted, and that's unfortunate for, well, for a guy like Cooper. One thing about his dy- dynamic play on the punt return, and, you know, he always gets compared to Tim Dwight, who was also dynamic. He had what? I don't, I was too young to watch Tim Dwight, so I don't have the stats in front of me. He had like, what, four or six, maybe four one season? He had three in that 97 season when he finished seventh in the Heisman. How many of them won the game in the fourth quarter? If Coop has two in one season within three weeks, like that's just, that almost outweighs the number of picks. It's right up there with Tate Holloway, in my opinion. Uh It it is one of the greatest plays in the history of Iowa football, and everyone now has to deal with the psychological processing that it didn't happen. And that's a weird, weird process to go through. It's true. I, I, I would have said that, that probably is number two to Tate to Holloway in terms of like the Kirk Ferentz era greatest finish in Iowa history. I've Tate to Holloway is the only other time where my jaw was on the floor, mm-hmm. speechless for a play. I couldn't believe that that happened. That happened yesterday, where I like after the play was just looking around at the crowd. Did <laughs> did we all just see that? Everybody from from the NBC crews to uh, the the Hawk guy, uh, Hawk Vision and, and UI Athletic, you, everyone's just looking at each other, trying to process like it happened again. 
except it didn't. And that's, again, you wake up today and you're like, you're in the middle of that euphoric space and now you're being told it didn't exist. Like, it's trippy. Like, it's very, like, almost out of body of just like, no, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But but I, I, I was there. I, I saw, <laughs> I it, saw it, though. Um, it, it's wild how calm Cooper is in those moments, too. I had that shot where he's, like, telling the crowd to calm down. It has, like, no emotion on his face. Mm-hmm. He's a Terminator. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Yeah. And, uh, again, that's, whether it counts or not, that's... Uh, legacy defining. Uh, Mike, you've had this statement up from Tim O'Day for a while. If you yeah. want to just give that a read. Yeah, let's just do this. This is, uh, you know, I just think we have to go through it. Here's what the, <laughs> the official said. I believe it was he, Scott talked to him, Scott Docterman. Let's start with the definitions that surround the play. With regard to it, there are valued and invalid signals that can be given during any kick play. An invalid signal is any waving motion by a receiving team member that happens throughout the kickdown. That's the first piece of information you have to apply. The second piece is that from Rule 6 is that any catch or recovery of a kick after an invalid signal is given, causes the ball to become dead upon recovery or catch. That's the basis that they made after seeing the play. Now going back to the top of the play, the receiver makes a pointing gesture with his right hand and he makes multiple waving gestures with his left hand. If you look at the video, you'll see that the waving motion of the left hand constitutes an invalid fair catch signal. So when the receiving team recovers the ball, it becomes dead. So that is a reviewable element of the game. We let the play run out and then we went to review Review shows with indisputable evidence that there was a waving motion with the left hand, and that is when these rules are applied. It's legal to point, but any waving motion of the hands during a kick is considered an invalid signal. And I don't want to call you know anyone like they can't find me, but to say that so we let the play run out. The refs did not think it was during the play, yeah. and I'm gonna not yeah, my grave thinking that again. The, the review, according to Kirk at the presser, was. They went to see if he stepped out of bounds. He didn't. And in the process of looking at that, um, and I believe he, if I'm understanding correctly, said it was kind of the league offices out in Pittsburgh or whoever's doing the review there was like, so he's in bounds, but this. So it's a very, again, we're drawing sort of all sorts of like legal parallels. Like yeah. It's just, we weren't looking for this, but we found this. And which I, it's wild. It's true. And I think that, um, I mean, it, I, correct me if I'm wrong, are college and NFL the same in that all scoring and turnover plays are reviewed no matter what? I don't believe that's the case in the NCAA. I know it is in NFL. I'm not sure if that's Yeah, I don't know if but that's that was, true. That was the theory out there, too, of like, if he does, and we talked about that a little bit, too, of just, well, if he doesn't score, do they look at it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think know. they still do just because it was close to the sideline. I Yeah, that probably gets looked at, but so it, it might have been a move. So point. here's what I guess I don't understand, and maybe you guys can help me out with this rule when it comes to the fair catch thing, when they... They said valued. Was that the correct word? Not that's, valid? That's what he said, no. valued. I don't know if he misspoke or if he meant valued. Yeah, it might have been so let's, let's just say valid or invalid. So both, so both a valid or invalid fair catch signal make it a fair catch? Is that what I'm understanding? That's, I've never heard the term invalid fair catch before 16 hours ago. <laughs> I didn't either. And, what, a, you know. Like, what does that mean? Like, what's the difference then? If, if both make it a fair catch, why are there two different types of fair catch yeah, signal? Because Kirk even pointed, and we might have these in sound bites, we'll get to those yeah. two, of, that they talk to officials before every game and it's, this is fair catch. I mean, anybody could, and you don't do it with your left hand. As Cooper said, he's never called a fair catch with his left hand. Yeah. Um, so it's always this. You see guys do this on punt returns all the time. Um, I, I don't know the difference between invalid. I, I literally don't know if it's an arm angle type thing. Like, mm-hmm. what's is this invalid? This is valid. I, yeah. I don't know. It's what a mess, I, man. What I, a mess. I don't think that 
Kirk said anything that's finable, unfortunately. Yeah, I saw it where it said Kirk? Kirk Ferentz blasts officials. I'm like, what? He, he was just kind of, I mean, you saw him kind of almost smiling because it's like, what do you do? He was asked a couple times, like, what do you say to your team? He's like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, what do you say? Um, he, all you can do is really laugh because it's just an unimaginable scenario. There were there were a few times where he, he called it a, whatever, peculiar call. Peculiar, interesting. Interesting, but I'm like, dude, Kirk, if you really want to send some money to the children's hospital, let's let's have it, man. Yeah. Let's hear it. That's let's really, go scorched yeah. earth, baby. Do you guys want get to hear from Kirk? Worth. I got yeah, about two uh, minutes. Let's so. get to Kirk. We've been talking for sure. a while. Here he is. So I'll start off by saying whatever I do say. Hopefully, if the Big Ten deems it necessary to find me, hopefully they'll uh, maybe find in their hearts to send it to a good cause. Like the Children's Hospital would be a good place to start. But uh, it's just a, it was a peculiar game. And the fact that we had six replays today, I can't remember a game. Maybe we've had some with that that amount. That's interesting. And uh, really, the, the, the last play is just, you know, it, it's a little bit tough. So I uh, had the target on the kickoff. That's a first for me. Um, not saying, making any judgment on that, but uh, the last one was just, yeah, it's, it's hard to take that one. It really is on a couple levels. So, first of all, I don't know how to coach our guys because we cover that in pregame with the officials each and every time about fair catch procedure, above the head, wave. Right, we also cover pointing to the ground for, for an errant kick which there were several of those today. So that's something we've covered with every crew that comes through. Pretty standard procedure, I would imagine. And, um, you know, so it was interesting, the the final analysis of that play. And probably the most peculiar part to me is that, uh, as I understand it, at least the initial replay was to find out if he was in or out of bounds, if Cooper stepped out of bounds, which clearly he didn't. And I, I appreciate the replay on that. That's fine. Do their homework. You know, make sure they're correct on that. But then somehow we went from there to a whole different series of topics. And that's, it's, it's really hard to accept the explanation that we got. Uh, and I guess, you know, I'm, I'm still not fuzzy. Maybe I slept through the meeting when they covered that, but I'm still not sure who makes the final decision. I know we go to Pittsburgh for analysis and, uh, you know, my theory there is more people get involved, probably the more screwed up things are. So uh, if it was up to me, if anybody wanted my opinion, it ought to go back to the official who's on the field talking to the coaches, he should have the final say. Well, again, I, I thought it started, was the inbounds, out of bounds? And we went from there to uh, pointing, which is legal, because, you know, Aaron punt. And then I was told that he was waving. And what they tell us in pregame is a wave is up here above the head. And most people, when they run, their arms do wave. So if you looked at the video, it looked like he was naturally running to the football and then just made a great play. One of the best ones I've ever seen. So. That part's the hardest part. Is it uh, you know an unbelievable effort gets you know yanked off the board? And Cooper described it as uh, man credit to Coop. He was the first one at the podium yesterday. A um, lot of emotion in his voice. He. It's so strange to have to ask a kid of like, what were you doing with your arm, <laughs> and then him trying to explain. He he painted it as like trying to balance himself, which kind of you see like guys like as they're running, kind of do a wind-up type thing, Yeah, if that makes sense. I think he said that, too. It was kind of yeah, winding, kind of winding up. Um, you got that if you want to hear that as well. We can, we can yeah, do that. Yeah, let's go to Coop. Sure. We've, we've heard enough from us. Let's hear from the guys. Never call for fair catch with my, with my left hand ever. Um, you know, it's kind of just like keeping my balance, I guess, trying to run, run to the ball. But, you know, it happens. Frustrating, but got to move on. No, I've, I've never... Had a problem with that before. Um, 
you know, I didn't, it didn't even look like I, I didn't think I got it above my head at least. You know, I was just kind of like winding myself to turn to get, to get the ball, you know? So yeah, it's tough. All right. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough. I'm still, you know, kind of in, in shock of, you know, what all, what all happened. It's frustrating, you know, for this team. You know, we just kept fighting, you know, through through the end of the game. Um, seems like it's it was all just you know taken away in that one one play. Did you notice any Minnesota defenders stopping or anything as a result of? No, did? I mean I assume they'd blow the whistle if it was a fair catch. Uh, I didn't hear a whistle though, so I just kept going. Yeah. Just got you, man. Just got you. I, somebody pointed out it was reminiscent, I think, because it was kind of the left to right again of that big touchdown run he had to, to win the state title. Mm. It felt like the mm -hmm. same trajectory. Yes. I was talking to him That's a couple true. weeks ago after, after the Michigan State game, and I think we aired it on the pod of just like him being able to hear like the coops in the background and, and what plays he remembers from his career that brought about that kind of where he can almost feel the energy of the crowd going, and he brought up the, the state title game in that run. Mm. That that was probably his all-time best play, even going back to high school. Mm -hmm. It doesn't count, but man, that's up there. Mm -hmm. That that was, like you said, that's, that's a legendary play. Mm -hmm. That's up there with pick a Tim Dwight one. That's, Tim's returns always like blend together, mm. but it's just, man, it's, it's wild. Yeah, I think that's that wild. goes down as uh, I, I'm I'm not as much of a Hawkeye historian as so many people out there, but if it stands, I say number two all-time finish to a game behind Tate Holloway. The only one I was thinking of before was Seven Got Six. Seven got six. I mean, it's, it's, it's in that same lexicon. Uh -huh. I don't know if you, Obviously you can rank them because they're all their own thing, but it's just like... Uh-huh. We're, we're a younger a, crowd, so anything yeah, in the no. 80s, you know, obviously we haven't... Yeah, Rob Howland hitting the, hitting the field goal obviously is huge. Uh -huh. Any of those 10 to walk, 12, walk that one was, wasn't goals. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Daniel Murray, who we talked to earlier. I mean, but it, it's just, it's in there. Yep. It's, but it, it's not because invalid. Um, no fine for Kirk as of yet. I, I don't know what'll happen with that. Who knows? Hopefully, as he said, it goes to a good cause. Uh, yeah, that's the. <laughs> I don't know what fine money goes to in the Big Ten. That's a good I don't question. Know either. Let's do an investigative report. I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> So, if Cooper's punt return stands, just to put a bow on this, this becomes another quintessential Iowa-style win. 12 yards in the second half on offense, no big deal. He two, just played two, two yards. Was it whatever half. it was. Yeah. Not a lot of offensive yards uh, in the second half, yada, yada, yada. It just becomes that classic Iowa way. But, of course, when that doesn't happen and you lose, to uh, paraphrase Seth Rogen and Step Brothers, okay, now the tuxedo seemed a little messed up. <laughs> The offense, 2-12, negative 29, whatever it may be, uh, was not productive. Again, a great opening drive uh, to, to get that field goal. Boy, what if it's a touchdown? Uh, yep. We'll play the what if game forever. But uh, Deacon Hill in start number three mm. for Iowa yep. after stepping yep. in uh, against Michigan State. 10-28, 116 yards. The pick late to Justin Wally to seal it for the Gophers. Had the deke sneak. We saw a few of those throughout the day. Seemed to be a, a pretty good play. Uh, so, again, the completion percentage there. Uh, uh, this 18 incompletions, obviously the one goes to, to the Gophers. There were a mix of there some, were some dro drops. drops again. 
threw a few behind a few to, behind Nico. There was one, uh, at least one to Deontay that was thrown behind. Uh, again, that opening drive though, we've got some some video if we wanted to get that. Uh, yep, we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. But of course, three turnovers, two fumbles. Uh, Minnesota blitzed pretty well, but let's uh, let's first get to, to Kirk and Deacon and just their evaluation of the uh, the offensive situation as Deacon QB two QB one uh, still trying to to put everything together. Clearly, a lot of things we need to do better. And top of the list is just ball security. You, know, you can't win football games turn it over three times, and um, you know two of those. Uh, directly tied to six points that they got. So that, that's first and foremost. That'll never change. And then just, you know, the opportunities we did have, we, we weren't able to capitalize, and that's um, certainly unfortunate. So Unexcusable. I got to hold on to the ball, whether I'm, a guy's hitting me or not. Yeah, I got to hold on to the ball. So that one's on me. No one else. I got to eat that one. Then the interception walked me through what you saw there. Yeah, I was just trying to get to the sticks. Um, had Nico just missed on it. Um, yeah, just missed. Wasn't wish I could have it back, but can't. Is there a worse way that we could go into the bye week? Um, this it's brutal. We'll talk about that in a bit too. Okay. Just that vibe. Uh, but this was the uh, that opening drive. I mean, that's a awesome play. Great yeah. catch from Deontay. But that's crazy. for for him to roll out the way he did and do that. That's. As good a throw he's made as a Hawkeye right up there with the, the couple tosses to Eric All. But then, again, uh, the turnover issues, just a loaf of bread out there that got knocked out of his hands, recovered by Minnesota. This next play I put in, because this is a great way that he handles the blitz here and ends up getting the P.I. in the end zone. But that's an awesome step up. You fire a ball in. And that reminded me of Nate Stanley, that step up. Yeah. I mean, that's there's a lot of reminiscent stuff there, but that ended up setting the uh, the Deke sneak touchdown that I believe we have here. I mean, it took four tries, but <laughs> uh, and awesome to to get that play for him. He was yeah. hyped up, obviously, but then again, uh, there was another fumble in there. Um, just a few few rough throws. This was a uh, on the final drive. I mean, that's the worst way to start that that final drive. Already trying to readjust after the energy swing, and then Justin Wally, who's Pretty darn good cornerback there. I, I thought in the moment he was going for Seth because Seth was over on the, the sideline as well. But, yeah, just kind of kind of put it up there. And so that got people talking yet again. I, I don't know what it was like on, on Twitter. There was just so much reaction to, to the, the Cooper play that I'm not sure if it was out there. But Kirk was asked once again about possibility of Joey Labus being in there, what the quarterback situation was. Kirk uh, really got in-depth with the decision or no decision on uh, sticking with deep going in. Yeah, so on, on that topic, I'll just say this. Okay, for 25 years, we watch guys in practice. We evaluate what they do in practice. And then moving forward, and then, yeah, certainly game performance is a big part of it. But, uh, you know, if, it, if it's close, neck and neck, that type of thing, then you rotate guys in and take a look at them. But, uh, you know, I don't think we're insane. Like, you know, you, you go with what you see in practice and, and – uh, you know, try to make the best decisions at all positions, not just quarterback. Obviously, quarterback's the one that attracts the attention. But uh, I mean, I'm just standing here right now, and we'll we'll see what next week brings. But I'm trying to think in the history since I've been here, how many how many you know we had it no whatever it would have been eight back and forth. You know, with two guys, then CJ and uh, Jake went back and forth a little bit. But typically, you know, it, there's a clear one, a clear two, and it's not. I'm not saying that in a demeaning way to the guys too, but it's just it's what it is, and um, you kind of go with it from there. So there it is. Um, 
I, I for one, I agree. Deacon's probably the best guy. I know we haven't seen a ton of Joey, um, but the, those two situations you brought up where it was in 08, Jake Christensen, Ricky Stanzi kind of switched starts for a while and then I, it became obvious. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's 15 years ago, but I remember thinking like, yeah, Ricky's kind of the guy. Hands down. Um, and then, yeah, in, in 14, it was Jake Rudock and, and C.J. Beathard. And uh, again, I, maybe we mentioned this on Wednesday, that Cade McNamara's 2021 leading Michigan to a, a Big Ten championship those numbers are almost identical to Jake Rudock in 2014 at Iowa. Jake got pretty much run out of town, um, but it also worked out for all parties. I can't remember many examples, if there are any, of a backup quarterback at Iowa leaving, going to an equal or better program and showing definitively that they were better than the starter I'm so that's taken that. jake off the table when he went to michigan and he had, won he like had a great good year. season but again like but it's a CJ it's michigan had, yeah it was kind of every everybody it yeah, I don't, out for i'm everybody. not questioning that decision yeah. obviously cj was the better quarterback the, for our, the examples i can think of are ryan boyle who was a stud at, at dowling transferred to indiana state i think he'd been moved to wide receiver for a little bit um going into 15 or 16 goes to indiana state he's mvc newcomer of the year he was i mean that kid was going to be successful at whatever position he went and played. Um, Nick Shimonek or I think Shimonek Shimonek um, was a good recruit. He ended up going to Texas Tech and I think had a decent stretch with the Red Raiders. Uh, Derek Willis was a wide receiver that transferred from Iowa there too and, and did well. Uh, Cody Sokol is probably the the biggest example of a guy who like went and found a really good season at Louisiana Tech after he's the guy who was the starting quarterback in NCAA football 14 video <laughs> yep. game, uh, out of overall rating and what QB was, number 19 you mean QB number 19 excuse <laughs> me yeah. um he went for like 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns at Louisiana Tech and uh -huh. it was 15 or 16 I mean he was a stud and I think he might have gotten to some NFL camps but more often than not it feels like the best guys out there and that they're not like you know, it was brought up last year, the what's the upside thing. And then, you know, not to, we've already been through the, the rigmarole of trying to, to respectfully point out, it, Kirk uh, did that earlier this week too, of just like, hey, like, maybe we see why the guy who's out uh -huh. there, maybe not everybody's on board with is the guy who's out there, which that's a whole can of worms about talking about, well, what's the state of the recruiting, the position and everything. But I yeah, it's just a, a tough spot right now. That's the Rambling. devil's advocate. Sure. Like, you know, obviously you could say what's the upside, and I don't necessarily, I don't know what I think about this offense, but I almost say what's the downside of just making a switch because, I mean, I know it's only been three games, but this team's contending for a, a division title. Sure. You know, so um, I wouldn't say that Deacons play the toughest defenses in the Big Ten, Purdue, Michigan State, Minnesota. Minnesota's probably the best one out of the three, but I still wouldn't say they're anywhere close to the top of the, you know. And Minnesota's defense coming off a bye week yeah. of rest. And, you know, Minnesota's got the three losses, and those are to Michigan, who might be the best team in the country and has a pretty good offense themselves that, that bruises and batters. And they played North Carolina, who's got one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Drake May. And so they've... They lost to Virginia last night. Not just a side note. That's shocking. Yeah, which is, which oh, is shocking wild. Loss. Yeah. yeah. Virginia is not that good. Yeah. We'll get our one, ACC podcast <laughs> up next year. One of, the, yeah. one of the underlying like big picture debates too, and I think Lysico and Dr. Man had a good conversation about it, is 
the offense obviously not good the past three years you know just not productive yeah. not productive and is it a a scheme thing is it a recruiting thing because none of these quarterbacks develop is it a coaching thing where i mean it could be all of the above where they're not developing any quarterbacks and like you said though no quarterbacks leaving going to a place and then being a star so is it like swings on recruiting i mean some of these quarterbacks have far four stars but not every four star is you know a good college quarterback it's it just makes you wonder, like, what can change this? Not this season, because I don't like. I we were talking before, Mitch. I don't think the offense is changing much this season no. for the better. But long term, how do you fix this problem? Because if they had an average offense, you know, I still think they lose to Penn State, but they could be a top fifteen team. You know, but I don't know if you have an opinion on that, Owen. Uh, I I feel like I from the time the Deacon took over, I was like yeah, let's let this guy run it out through the end of the season. And I feel like each week that I see him, uh, I grow a little bit more and more like expecting him to stay in there as a starter less and less maybe. Because um, I think that last week I said like, you know, this guy's still going to get a few more chances to go out there and get reps um, before they even think about going to somebody else. He is not getting better. Um, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say he's getting worse, but I mean, there's nothing out there that I've seen out of him that's like, boy, Deacon's really progressing in a positive direction. He's really improving and doing well. Boy, he has some potential, I think, and we, we like the guy a lot, but he is not doing well um, at quarterback. Um, and, and I don't know if Joe Labus would do any better. I don't, mm-hmm. want, I don't want to turn this into, like, again, the, the uh, Petrus-Padilla conversation, and then Padilla comes in and stinks up the joint, but... I mean, gosh, I, I feel like at this point I'm of the mindset where, you know, I think that they'll give Deacon the start at Northwestern. I think they'll give him the start against Rutgers no matter what. But if if this continues and he continues to just, like, not show any signs of improvement, it's like those last two regular season games, maybe try something else out. Because the the upside, if you will, to coin a phrase, might be figuring out things for next year because when – if Kate is back next year, and if Deacon is back on the roster, and if Joe is back on the roster, they do need to figure out who's our number two for next season. And so they would like to maybe see some reps as starter for the guy who is going to be competing for that number two spot. So I, I would say going into the final maybe couple games of the season, that would be the upside is to at least get a look ahead at what we might have in store backing up Cade McNamara next season. It's difficult to do that when you're looking at a Big Ten West title. You know, if they were three and, and three or and, three and four. Yeah, and that's why I say that, like, that's, that's why I think they'll give them a couple more games so mm-hmm. that, like, if, if again, it gets to the point where it's like, boy, we're not in contention for a Big Ten West title anymore, then we might need to make a change. But if, if they win the next couple games, then got to keep Deacon in there. Yeah. I still feel like, and I think we talked about this in, in the preseason one, Hate to bring up Brian. I don't. I Brian's OC had success with Nate Stanley at quarterback. These last three years now, I believe it is he's the quarterback's coach as well. Hmm. I think that needs to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a big thing. And I I predicted in the preseason maybe that's Bud Myers' gig at some point. I thought I thought that would be for this season, but that's that's just that feels like a big thing. Far far more than. I agree with that. Yeah, spot. I think that that's that's a big deal because uh, I think O'Keefe was quarterbacks coach for Stanley, right? Yeah, I believe so. I think he was for the first year too. Um, when until in twenty twenty one because K- 
O'Keefe, O'Keefe was still on the on the staff because I, I saw him in the hotel in Nebraska. <laughs> when, um, so that that to me is a, a a big thing too. Again, there's a whole other discussion about recruiting and and development and whatnot. But that that still to me feels like it's weird for an like offensive line to be the, the quarterback's co- offensive lineman. And again, like there are position coaches that switch. Abdul Hodge was a linebacker sure. and he's coaching tight ends and has done pretty darn well with that, especially all things yep. considered. Uh, that always feels like one of those positions though, that like you needed a, a former quarterback there, or I think maybe like a former wide receiver, maybe that mm-hmm. sometimes happens, but like, it's just such a unique spot. And man, it's, it, that's not the catalyst and the, the pin for everything, but like, just one of those, when you're looking for answers, that's, that's one of the spots you glance over. And Before we get to the buy, let's just point this out. That Minnesota out-Iowa'd Iowa in this game. Iowa gets that win in Wisconsin by not turning the ball over and running the ball well. Minnesota gets this win at Iowa, forget about the punt return, by not turning the ball over and running the ball well. We kinda, and we kind of said these are... Two teams that are two sides of the same coin that want to do that that kind of thing. And when it came down to it, Iowa turns it over three times, doesn't run the ball well at all. Minnesota does it. Kaliak Manis didn't have to do a whole lot, made a couple really nice throws when he needed to. But, I mean, that's Minnesota won messy. It won, it won in a way that, that Iowa likes to win theirs. And that was, you know, if, if the punt return counts, that's just the – that's Iowa out minnesota Minnesota, who's trying to out-Iowa, Iowa. It's a big... Uh, Ethan Kaliak, Manis stats, mirror Deacon Hills, minus the interception, 10 for 25, 126, had 10 more yards, zero touchdowns, zero that, interceptions. That long one yeah. uh, that set up, I think, that final go-ahead field uh-huh. or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was we, we got what was advertised. It just, yeah, when you get in the weeds, it's, it's a weird one. But yeah, Minnesota did what Iowa did in Madison last week, and, and that's why they're... The proud owners of a very old bronze pig. Uh, so we do go into the bye week for Iowa. It couldn't have come at a better time, at least from a physical health standpoint. I, I think we can talk about whether or not having uh, time to stew on this is a is another situation. They're in the middle of their twenty four hour flush today, and I man, that's a, a, a tough one in, in the film room today for sure to just watch things that did go well and uh, a play that doesn't exist anymore. But boy, that. That defense, Logan Lee limped off at one point. Jay Higgins, I felt like, was was really in, in a tough spot at the end. Cooper had a, a wrist thing in the third quarter I got a shot of where it, I don't know if he like jammed a finger or something something on his hand. Um, obviously, Y.A. Black had a strap on his shoulder the whole, whole game. Uh, Xavier Wampa had a cast on his hand coming in. I mean... This team is beat up. Joe Evans was questionable last week, played this week. And Joe was asked just about the the bye week and, and getting healthy and also going into it off a, a moment like this. I'm not going to ever be a guy to, uh, for me, comment really on my health. You know, um, if I'm out there, I'm out there. I'm not going to be the one to make excuses. But um, having the bye week definitely is going to help just to kind of get guys healthy again and, you know, be ready to go for the next four weeks. He did talk, though, of just would you want to play this upcoming Saturday just to help with the the cleanse? Like, you have to move on. I don't know what you guys think of that, of just – 
you need the time to rest up, but boy, you'd, you'd love something new to prep for uh, right now, starting tomorrow or even today. Uh, it's just a tough spot. I, going back to just like talking about this being the worst way to go into a bye week, um, it, it just makes it that much harder to flush a loss like that when you have two weeks now to stew on it. Um, boy, I mean, an exciting win would be a great way to do it. Even if, you know, if this was Penn State and they got, you know, just totally dominated going into a bye week, it's like, all right, we got a lot of things to work on and this will be a good chance to get things cleaned up. But just having a really sickening feeling going into a bye week is a tough way to have to sit on that for the next two weeks. And I just, I, I'm curious to see how they respond. And if, I mean, I don't know, the, pessimi- the pessimist in me thinks that this could be like a beginning of a tough stretch here for Iowa I, I feel like it's it's certainly possible that that could stick with them and and they lose you know three of their last four games honestly over the next few weeks just because I mean yeah Minnesota got them figured out pretty well I mean Iowa for the first time all season yesterday had a healthy fully healthy stable of running backs and they got their butts kicked in their running game I mean they could not do anything in the running mm-hmm. game um, and they and it's like Minnesota really did something well against them in pretty much every facet of the game, and I think that that's given the final four opponents for Iowa something to look at moving forward for what what they can do to to shut Iowa down defensively and or offensively or special teams. And um, I don't know, I, it it gives me weird feelings going into the bye week. Just like, boy, is this how well is this team gonna bounce back from that? You know, going to that Northwestern game in a couple weeks at Wrigley Field. Yeah, the running game's interesting. I don't know if you guys agree with what I saw because I was in the stands for it's a fan. Um, yesterday it seemed like minnesota and they put like seven eight guys in the box it looks like iowa scheme wise and try and do anything outside they were running between the tackles and just when minute when they know that it's going to happen you know and i know there's only so many plays you can do like that first drive you come out throw one first down great throw to deontay get them off their heels you know and obviously you have to keep executing and that wasn't happening so they wanted to lead on the run game but I always wonder in, you know, that write up from Doctorman a few weeks ago where it's like, if you're in this formation, you know, Iowa 75% of the time does this, you know, that just tells them, hey, let's just, and Kirk talked about the run blitz, we're all there all day. And uh, some of the time, I mean, on the last drive that first, or the last drive, the first sack that they got Deacon to on first and 10, like it was five on six in favor of Iowa. They had five, they rushed five, they, they did a stunt and LaShawn or LeSean was back there and they got to him within like two seconds. So like, that's not Deacon's fault. I mean, obviously yeah. you can't be expected to get the, rid of the ball in a second, you know? Yeah, I, you, you had kind of just projected that in our previous podcast where you were like, you know, if I'm Minnesota, I just go ahead and stack the box and just like say, hey, beat me with your quarterback, make him throw downfield and see if he can do it. And obviously Deacon could not do that and has not shown any ability to do that over his time as a starter. And so again, I, I think that that's what teams are gonna do to these guys moving forward. They're gonna stack the box, totally eliminate the run game and see if Deacon shows any sort of progression as a, as a quarterback. Yeah, the only time I didn't see them stack is when, you know, they went in five wide and, and shotgun, and then they brought in their nickel package and had four defensive linemen with a linebacker over. But I didn't get to rewatch the full game. I only watched, like, bits and pieces. The, the reason that that Deacon sneak worked so well was because I think they tried to run two third and one plays with Jazz running up the middle, and he just got totally pushed backwards. And so they were like, "Okay, let's <laughs> let's try it with Deacon." I think we'll see mm-hmm. a lot of that moving forward because, yeah, that's a great like third and one play. Use your uh, 
wide-bodied quarterback as a guy just as a battering ram to get you one yard when you need to and worked well for him. And so I think we'll see a lot of that moving forward. I think a lot of that is also when we've, we've talked about Iowa, when Iowa scores early and they, they kind of know what the game's going to be and they know it's going to be a lot of punts and the wind's all over the place. I mean, B.J. Fleck burned two timeouts in the first quarter <laughs> to make sure he kept the win as yeah. long as he could. I mean, that's yeah. it was yeah. going to be the time of game it is. Uh, not saying Iowa is just trying to run it and punt it back as quick as they can, but that's also, I mean, they when they get the lead and they feel like their, their scheme and formula is going to work, they're just going to pound it inside and get rid of it and try to play the field position game. It, I, yeah. And again, there, there are days when it works perfection and there's days that it doesn't. And when it works, it's, it's the, I think you, you called it the dark magic of, of <laughs> Iowa football. Like, Hey, like it was messy and there's not a lot of yardage, but Hey, like defense and special teams pulled up. Torrey had another awesome day. That he, had, he had a perfect one yeah. that Cooper down, like right at the one. And it's just like, that's, Art like yeah. it's it's, it's an was, art installation. There was a time when he was averaging 52 yards a punt. I think yes, I think maybe his last two dropped him down. I mean, it ended up at like 49 yeah. yards a punt or something. But another nine punts yesterday. After the Northwestern game, he will be within maybe a game of reaching the all-time total punts record for the University of Iowa. So he's, there was a minute yeah. after I thought Coop. You know, in the minute time frame where I thought Cooper's punt would have sealed the, the win for Iowa. I was planning on coming here and instead of the, having a hot shot from, from Kirk off the top, I was going to play Jesse from Breaking Bad. You can't stop getting away with this. <laughs> I mean, that's, and, and this was, that's been used a few times now to, uh, yeah. to describe Iowa. And uh, we talked about it after Penn State and obviously that's a very different game and a very different loss. But hey, when it works, it's, that's the Iowa way and it's awesome. And again, when it doesn't, uh, the tuxedos don't look that great all of a sudden. Uh, for the Doback brothers. Let's uh, recap the picks because I'm sure that's just full of sunshine and rainbows <laughs> and, and all sorts of good vibes. Actually, there. Owen had a really good week. Did he? Yeah, let me pull it up real quick. He went 5-1. and one. Nice. Hello. Yep, only one he missed was Penn State. We all wow. missed on that one. And uh, kind of surprising, but not when you really I, think about it. <laughs> Ohio State is, man, I, I, Michigan's maybe head and shoulders above everybody else, but that's a that's a really nice one. What was the final score of that one? What was what ended up being the spread? 20 to 20 12. 12. Yeah. Mm, close. And uh, I feel like an idiot picking Michigan State. I thought college football would college football, but it didn't college <laughs> okay. football. It's, uh, it's a wild one there. Yikes, yeah. Michigan. Oh, Northwestern. Northwestern, yeah. Heck played heck played heck a little close there. at Lincoln, and uh, Wisconsin made a, a late I, – I, I, I heard that lock through a late touchdown to a lineman. Is that correct? Mm. I'm not sure. I know that – Man, that was one of the big takeaways from last week's game is that yeah. that kid's going to be okay. Um, I've learned the lesson that Cason Frerichs has tried to teach us so many times. Of just can't trust Illinois. They were winning for a majority of the they game were. when I was checking. Well, good yeah. about it. And it was like 21-7 going into the fourth quarter, I think. And Indiana gave Rutgers a nice little fight there, too. But mm. Rut- Rutgers, uh, boy. Pulled it out. It's, that's going to be an interesting one to to coin a phrase from, from Kirk coming up in a couple weeks. Back Look upon my works, all ye mighty and despair. <laughs> Owen and Mike tied to top the leaderboard, 23-23. You know <laughs> well, I would have been fine if it wasn't for week one. <laughs> Not fine, yeah. but better. Not bad. All right. Well, so this week, and we need to figure this out. We're going to plan live on here. There will be player availability, players that we don't normally get on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. We're going to get them on Wednesday this week. Usually during the bye week, is when coordinators are available, Phil Parker and Brian Ferens. We were told after the post game yesterday, coordinators will be available later during this season. We've had Phil on a on a Zoom, I think maybe a month ago. I haven't talked to Brian since media day, so 
Um, Things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> I wonder why. And I was trying to think who who we haven't talked to that we usually see on the field player-wise. I think like Rusty Feth, I'm not sure if he's been out there. Mm-hmm. Um, Jennings Dunker was on at one Tuesday. Nick DeYoung's been at one or two. Kyler Fisher was at one early. I don't know if there's like, if Hayden Large could be there <laughs> Wednesday, something like that. Yeah. Um, Ethan Herkett, maybe. Haven't seen Ethan out there. Yeah. YA hasn't been out there. Um, Xavier's been at available at a time or two. But we'll we'll have fresh new faces Wednesday, I suppose, and, and see how everybody's doing. But have we talked to Aaron Graves on a Tuesday? We haven't talked to Aaron Graves either. Hmm. He had a boy. Um, he's, he's progressing really well. He, he's Joe, looking good. Joe Evans had an awesome day of pressures, and I think had at least one sack, if not two. Graves had a was it Evans that almost got to um, Kaliak Manis in the end zone? Or was that? That was Herkett. Herkett, okay, yeah. That was Herkett. I was, oh, man. Again, just like. <laughs> Close. Yeah. But when you. When Sam you, had another huge, dude, he just knocks people. Mm-hmm. Or he wraps them up and doesn't let them go. He is just. When you rely on that, though, sometimes you don't get it. It's, those are tough plays to make. And, yeah. you know, I'm not faulting the defense at all because, you know, they played tough. I mean, outside of that big play, I think they were in man. They usually don't play man. And They're the only reason I was where they are around. right now. Yep. Uh, do not and special teams Tory oh, yeah. Taylor, special yeah. teams Tory Taylor uh, boy <laughs> that's that's how I was going so we'll uh, we'll figure out I would do we record Wednesday then we're really, really f- figuring this out live on <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably can, yeah. Yeah, we'll I still say we record Wednesday and then if we don't have times or anything we'll we'll figure it out I, shoot I gotta figure out my schedule this week <laughs> yeah Usually, That's uh, what we're doing after this. Yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll figure that all out. So thanks for being part of this meeting, everybody who's watching this and listening uh, after the fact. We'll we'll figure out and we'll get the word out. But thanks to everybody for tuning in, being part of this, our, our version of the 24-hour rule. We'll look ahead to the bye week and then we'll uh, start looking ahead to Wrigley at some point. We'll also recap some of our preseason predictions with our, with our midweek podcast. So for Mike and Owen, I'm Mitch. We're all getting through this together, folks. We'll see you on the next edition of Eye on the Hawks.